Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the PocketLint Podcast. Sky has confirmed it's ditching the dish and launching an all-new-in-one TV called Sky Glass that allow you to get many of the benefits of Sky via an internet connection instead. Pocklin's Rick Henderson and myself have attended the big reveal in London to find out how it will change the way we watch Sky, what will happen to current customers, and whether this is the new future for the broadcaster. Meanwhile, I recently caught up with the CEO of Signify UK, the company that's behind Philips Lighting and Philips Hue Smart Bulbs, to talk about how the market leader is continuing to innovate and adapt to its customers' needs, and in particular, the rise of UVC lighting technology that can be used to make the workplace safer. Apocalypse Mike Lowe has been playing with the new Nintendo Switch OLED. Is the handheld console the one to get, or should you just now opt for the cheaper original model instead? Stay tuned to find out more. But first, back to you, Rick. We're here at the event. So there's a bit of noise, a bit of bustle, in person for a change. Tell us more about what announced. Well, Skyglass is a new TV from Sky. Um, we previously thought that Sky would uh, introduce a SkyQ IP service, i.e. a, um, a SkyQ service but with just the box, not the actual uh, satellite dish. However, it's gone one further. It's actually on, it, um, launched its own TV. Um, a TV that's got all the smart functionality you'd expect, but behind all of the Sky experience. So you get Sky programming, Sky sports, um, but also things like Netflix, BCI Player, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime Video, all integrated into that experience. Um, there's far more to it even than that because it's also got an entire six-speaker Dolby Atmos system built into the TV itself. This is big. This yeah. is a really big move by Sky. It's a proper power move. It feels, it, it kind of, previously, Sky have kind of had that annoying thing where they're either a Sky Q in the UK or they're seen as a kind of would-be, wannabe Netflix Prime. And now today we've kind of, we're at this event, three TVs. They look pretty good. This very slick presentation. Felt very apple at times. And we've kind of got this, well, we also make hardware. And they haven't even partnered with a Samsung or a Panasonic or someone. They've just gone, we're making it ourselves, we're sourcing the supplies, we're doing it. Yeah, this is a Sky product. I mean, this, and, and there was also a tease of another product that goes with Glass that's coming out late, later next year, a bit like Facebook's portal video calling system. So Sky is really moving in on the hardware space. And what I really liked is that it's not just doing it by going, here's a standard looking TV it's doing it with something that for a really reasonable price looks like a Bang & Olufsen television yeah. it's properly designed in five different colours um, really quite impressive I, I, was, I, I didn't know what to expect this wasn't what I expected yeah I think I, coming into this I thought it was going to be a set top box there was obviously a small puck they're calling the little Sky Mini boxes now they're going to be called pucks there was a puck available in Germany and that's kind of felt like a, a kind of like an Apple TV, sort of a Roku box. That was what we were expecting. Plug it into your TV, off you go. This is a very different proposition, a very different experience from Sky. Even to the point when you buy it, and you can get it, we'll talk about the pricing in a minute, because that's quite yeah. advanced as well and aggressive, is that 
you then get to this point where they'll come and install it for you just to make sure that it's up and running. And they take away the packaging afterwards to make it, and all the packaging is it completely um, sustainable, and they'll take that away. So they come in, they install it. They're even clever little pieces, like uh, if you want to wall mount it, the wall mount is actually built into the TV itself. Um, or you can get a matching stand with the TV. Um, it's Everything has been really thought out to be as simple and as consumer friendly as possible. And that includes the actual use of the TV itself. I had a demo earlier and um, basically the TV can be woken without any remote control whatsoever because it has far field microphones built into it and therefore you can just say, hello Sky, wake up. And suddenly, the TV is all working straight away just for you. It's also got a motion sensor. So if the TV is in kind of its wallpaper mode, which they call Glance, which shows some of their programming, um, you just walk past it and suddenly the menu comes on. Now, it's what, extraordinary. What I found interesting with that, I've just had a, as I say, we're at the event, we've been talking to the d different people, different demos and, and things like that. I've just been talking to uh, the CEO of, of UK CEO of Sky, and the head of the product on this and they've told me that this glance is going to evolve as well so at the moment it's just showing you entertainment systems it's kind of like a splash for you know brassic or for uh, alibi you know different tv shows uh, they're planning to advance this to landscapes to artwork to weather to news to you know even sort of general awareness of what's going on in your house and things like this it feels very much to me like the same same language and same approach that we saw when Sky Q was launched. We, were, I think you were there as well. We yeah. were both there at that yeah. event. It, it's kind of the next, that was five, six years ago now. So this is the next kind of iteration for them. It's not, from what I can gather, it's not replacing Sky Q. Um, but it's, it's kind of, this is where it's going. This kind of move into the cloud, this IP approach, rather than kind of that old record thing. Uh -oh. Well, it's, this is the thing, it's, 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 it's the first Sky device in many a year, Sky TV device, that doesn't have recording. Um, that's quite a big move for Sky, it's not, it's not something that they take lightly, but they give you every other possible way of seeing your content. All of the content, not only Sky's own shows and programming, but also Netflix and BBC iPlayer and all of the apps and services that are integrated within the experience is front and centre. The idea behind it is that your content is king and linear TV is moving is is no longer important. It really yeah. Isn't. I think it's that sense of it doesn't matter where the content's coming from. I think they, from talking to the leadership team, it feels that there's there's this moment where they're they're kind of saying that everything's just got too complicated. It's like, have I recorded it? Is it on an app? Is it which silos it in? And they're kind of trying to measure that through. Now, let's talk about pricing because that's quite interesting in itself. You don't have to buy it. Yeah, that's that's. There's something that I've actually asked Sky about for years because it made total sense to have a service and TV integrated in a mobile phone style plan. Of course, now they've integrated their service into the TV, they can absolutely do that. And so the um, the TV itself you can buy without Sky services from thirteen pound a month. Which is extraordinary. That's, that is such a small amount of money to, for a brand new TV. But if you want Sky's programming as well, say for example Sky's Entertainment and Netflix integrated into the same package, plus the TV, £39 a month. That is a, that's very, very attractive. That's for the 43-inch version. But they also do it in 55 and 65. But it's not. it never gets too expensive. Of course, 
like any Sky service, start adding Sky Sports, Sky Cinema, Sky this and Sky that. But to get the TV within that bundle feels that it feels a different way in that sense of you know, most people upgrade their TV every five to six years. You know, it's a fifteen hundred pound service. Yes. It's a £1,500 upgrade to get a decent sized TV of a decent, even though the prices come down yeah. and change, it's kind of always stuck at 1500 quid. That's quite a big outlay. So the idea that they've gone with this mobile phone package, it feels very aggressive. Um, I think the interesting thing for me, again, talking to the leadership team, is that sense of they acknowledge that there is a five-year recycle window for, for upgrading. And so therefore, they're not about selling boxes well, from day one. And here's the thing. They also are bringing something over from their Sky Mobile plan, which is Swap. And that means that when a new Sky Glass TV comes out, you can upgrade to it, as long as your existing uh, TV plan is paid up, you can upgrade to it for free. So you can get a brand new Sky Glass TV when, say, they add 120 hertz or they add other new features to it, or, or you know, maybe in four years' time, 8K. Um, you can just upgrade it because you're already paying a kind of mobile phone style plan. Now, um, I, I grew up in, a, in the 1970s at a time when you sort of hire purchased all your You were going to say radio rentals. Yeah, radio rentals. You, you did. You rented your TV because then you knew you could upgrade your TV when needed. This is superb for that. That is a great idea. Um, I can't fault their ambition. We do have to get in the test labs to really see what it's like as a proper TV. But um, you cannot fault it. You cannot fault the idea, the concept of getting all of that content and the TV and the Dolby Atmos system all in one without having to muck about with any other wires or leads. Now, I'm going to final question. I'm going to caveat this. We're obviously at the event. It's the first actual event that you and I have probably been yeah. to. For yeah. We are clearly very excited. Thumbs up? Yeah. Huge thumbs up. Have to see it soon. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Nintendo Switch OLED console. Um, really, it's down to technology basis. It's it's in the same way if you bought an OLED telly versus an older LCD one, um, and you particularly notice it side by side. Um, the OLED screen is just brighter. It's got a, quite a different balance of colour, so it's a bit cooler, more kind of natural looking. Philips Hue has been promoting smart lighting for almost a decade, and in that time it's seen users embrace the technology, seen the rise and dominance of Alexa and Google Assistant in controlling our home, and even seen users' need for more lighting options continue to grow. So how does the company that created the category stay relevant? What happens when all of us have light bulbs that last for 50 years? And can we now expect our lights to do more things like destroy bacteria, viruses and spores when we're not in the room? These are just some of the questions I put to Stephen Rowett, the CEO of Signify UK, the company behind Philips Lighting. I started by asking him whether the challenge had become easier or harder now that there are so many smart light bulb brands to choose from. So, so in the consumer space for smart lighting, um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily become harder. What you're really seeing is in terms of uptake, you know, smart lighting's growing by let's say 10% or more a year, depending on which country you happen to be in. So if we talk about the UK, um, so the market's growing. Uh, and I think it's more around interest in uptake uh, by individuals. So, so, so what ends up happening, it's not a question of me competing with others. It's more around me convincing you as a consumer, an end consumer, hey, now is the time to switch to smart lighting. Right. So I wouldn't say that it's 
more competitive at this point or harder for us to compete, I think what we're really seeing is actually more and more uptake and more and more interest from end consumers around the benefits of smart lighting and obviously a lot of the integrations that come along with the, a lot of the other smart home devices. So actually, in some ways, it's a little easier now than it used to be because I'm going instead of from the bleeding edge folks now to more of the mainstream consumers. Now, I remember installing smart lighting probably seven, almost eight years ago now, I think it was with, I started with a Philips Hue starter pack. Good choice. Uh, you know, the three bulbs and the, and the Hue bridge and all the other stuff. Over that time, we've obviously seen an increase in various light bulb fittings and, and, and a random array of, of accessories to, to fit different sockets in your home, so to speak. Is that where you see the growth still or is there innovations and technologies coming that will convince more people to get on board? Well, I'd say in a few different areas. So one, there's obviously a much broader range of lighting products. So, so where you used to have just, you know, uh, a couple of uh, simple bulbs. Now you have the full portfolio, you know, and so so pretty much pick a light socket in your home, and and there's a light bulb for it. Uh, mm. There's obviously light strips now that can you know go behind a cabinet or under a TV and so forth. Uh, and then you obviously have uh, integrated luminaires, so so full proper desk lamps and things that go in your ceiling. Uh, so there's a huge broad range uh, of lighting products now. Uh, that cover pretty much uh, uh, every form factor you could imagine. So, so part one, so pretty much one of everything. Part two is there's a lot of integration now with things like, uh, so what we have, for example, our, our entertainment offering that basically our Hue Sync that ties into your TV so that basically whatever's showing on the TV, the lighting on the TV actually is reflected also onto uh, the lights in your home. So you can basically make your TV, the, the ambience, the experience be much richer. So we're seeing a lot of investment there in terms of using smart lighting to enhance your overall right. feeling and mood and so forth. And then obviously when we talk about IoT, there's all sorts of sensors, smart devices and so forth that connected lighting connects with. And you're also seeing a lot of it embedded into uh, the smart lighting now too. Um, the, the nicest thing about smart lighting is it is the most ubiquitous, the most common thing when you think about IoT in the home. You need connectivity, points of presence and power. And, and, and light bulbs are in every room. You have a light socket everywhere. So you can basically use that uh, as an IoT hotspot for something. And where do you think that beyond just coming up with more bulbs for places that you haven't come up with yet, where, where is the smart lighting technology going next? Where is it going next? I'd say there's a question of you've got, uh, as part of, you know, PIR sensors, motion sensors, and so forth, which are just handy for, hey, turn the lights off, turn the lights on, somebody's in the room. That can be integrated into things like security. So if you think of uh, uh, connected lighting and home security offerings becoming more and more connected together, uh, it can be tied together as part of that motion sensing to things like heating and HVAC in your home. Again, you know, are people present, not present? How many mm. people are in the home uh, can really help with that. Uh, you also see where it's not specific to smart lighting, but what you're seeing is with lighting overall, from a human-centric lighting standpoint, so lighting obviously has an effect on your mood. So whether you're having a rough day, you can actually turn the lighting on to, to, to sort of a brighter bluish light that gives you more energy. Or if you want to calm down in the evening, as we say, don't look at your, 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 your phone screen, but you can actually have the lighting go to more warmer 
lighter colors, but actually helps you be more relaxed. And there's a whole bunch of scientific studies that show that lighting can have a strong positive effect on people. So you can tie smart lighting with a lot of the things that happen around, we'll say, human-centric lighting to actually have uh, just enrich your overall experience in the house. And when it comes out of the house and we go towards the office, are we likely to see more sensors built into the light bulbs or new technologies built into the light bulbs as well? Oh, for sure. And that's where both in the uh, indoor and outdoor space. Uh, so when you look at the outdoor space for a second, when you start talking about going from 2G, 3G, 4G to 5G in terms of telecom networks, mm -hmm. the density that you need in terms of cell phone towers becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, conveniently, as you look at 5G, uh, the density, the, the, the spacing you really need for those 5G towers really starts getting down to city blocks. And of course, you're not going to start dropping a whole bunch of cell phone towers in the middle of central London or, you know, uh, in New York. And it becomes more interesting to put a lot of those receivers and so forth, transmitters, into existing infrastructure. And so street lighting becomes quite interesting uh, for you know, 5G, 4G, LTE, and uh, Wi-Fi uh, hosting, uh, which, uh, as Signify, we offer, you know, our Brightsides proposition. Uh, you know, we've just announced a, a partnership in London, for example. And then you look at, so that's in the outdoor space, where lighting becomes an interesting host for connectivity. And then in the indoor space, again, uh, as you go to uh, indoor 5G uh, and private networks, again, you... you you're really looking at a room-by-room -room connectivity base, and you can use the lighting infrastructure, which again has connectivity, power, and it's usually at the right space, you know, it's the right spacing, the right distance. You can again use the lighting infrastructure for hosting connectivity as well. And then importantly, so lighting's great as a host, both indoor and outdoor. Right. Uh, lighting is itself a communication medium. If you've heard of Li-Fi, uh, where you actually use light itself, uh, all the way from simple white lights all the way through to lasers uh, to be able to transmit data. So you've, you've got now the capacity, the capability to transmit data using just light at, you know, a gigabit a second, 10 gigabits a second and so forth. Ultimately, with smart lighting, we've got to a point now where we can light a room. We can change the light color to suit our mood. We can change it to kind of bring a party atmosphere, you know, with the Philips Hue with 16 million colors, sort of, you know, suddenly I can have a purple room, I can have a green room, yeah. you know, what have you. Do you see a point in time where we're using lighting in the home or in the office beyond just illuminating our spaces? Uh, absolutely. And that's been one of the biggest evolutions for lighting, moving beyond just simple illumination, where you see now lighting being used for, if you think of in greenhouses, uh, as well as in farms, you've got lighting that basically helps plants grow quicker. You've got lighting being used, as I mentioned before, just around helping your feeling and mood. They use it in hospitals now. Uh, but lighting can also be used for things like disinfection. So ultraviolet lighting, uh, basically when you get down to a certain range, UVA, UVB, and then importantly, UVC lighting, uh, can be used to basically disinfect uh, bacterias, viruses, uh, fungis, and molds, and so forth. And obviously, uh, uh, in current COVID times, we've found that UVC lighting is also effective at uh, eliminating or basically deactivating COVID. So it's great for, it's been used historically for things like influenza, tuberculosis. It's been used a lot more recently for MSRA, MRSA superbugs. But now with COVID, it's being looked at a lot more in terms of day-to-day uh, -day usage and whether that's in a school, 
an office in your home or on the public rail network and so forth being used for disinfection purposes there as well. And so most people, when they think of ultraviolet light, they think of a, a nightclub experience, which I know is a long time ago, um, you know, with sort of, oh, look, you've got some funny fluff on your shoulder or your teeth are bright purple and things like that. Does it, you know, A, is it safe? But B, is it kind of, does it look like regular light? Yeah. So as you move along the UVA to UVB, you know, you obviously on your sunglasses that says UVA and UVB protective to UVC, uh, you, you would not want to sit in front of a direct UVC light. And, and that's never the intention. Um, UVC lighting is very effective uh, and importantly needs to just be installed correctly. So you have a variety of different ways of using it. Uh, you obviously have these enclosed systems where uh, air basically passes through the system and the UV tubes run the inside. It can be in an HVAC system, so just inside your building somewhere, and it can be in some of those basically just small uh, uh, movable uh, air conditioning units, those small movable fans you've got in your office or in your home. And then you also have and that's where the, the UVC tubes are essentially inside the unit and air passes through it and it disinfects the air. Then you have direct exposure lighting where you've got uh, basically a UV tube that's uh, uh, fully exposed. Uh, and obviously you shouldn't be in the room where you need to be wearing protective gear. And, and obviously that's for special different use cases where you're cleaning, for example, a hospital after use. So, so basically they've got these UVC tubes that are in the ceiling uh, and in a uh, um, in an operation room, and basically in between uses, they sort of hit the button, disinfects the entire room, and, and you go back to work. Obviously, you still need to do some cleaning and so forth, but it's a helpful supplemental addition. We have it ourselves in our Guildford offices where we've got it in the washrooms. So basically, when no one's in the washroom, UVC lighting turns on, basically disinfects everything. And how, I mean, obviously, you've got it in your office already. So how how likely are we to see this rolling out into into offices or you know even the home in the near future or is this something that you're still kind of prototyping and, and we're still years away oh well so uvc lighting itself has been around since the 30s and 40s they were doing uh, uh they were using it in hospitals they did studies in schools uh, it's very common in in uh, asia and eastern europe already uh we as uh, signifies Philips Lighting have been actually offering UVC lighting for things like water disinfection and other thing, uh, other use cases for 30 or 40 years now. Um, so what, as I said, as part of MRSA, superbugs, tuberculosis, Legionnaire's disease, you were starting to already see it more and more, especially in North America, uh, in hospitals. Uh, and then obviously with COVID, we're we're seeing a bit of an acceleration now. So you can see from the WHO, uh, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, obviously Sage in the UK. A lot of public uh, uh, regulatory groups, advocacy groups, uh, all advocating for the use of UVC uh, as part of a, an improved ventilation or healthy healthy air in particular buildings. So, so obviously there's studies going on in schools. Uh, there's we've done a lot of installs in offices, gyms. Uh, we've actually even done one in a, a horse stable uh, because, it, as I said, it's it's useful for all sorts of vac bacterias and viruses. And in this case, there's apparently going across uh, Europe right now a airborne virus that impacts horses and can kill them. And obviously, uh, a horse can be quite expensive, so mm. you can actually put this in place in the stables to basically help make sure that the, the, the air is a little bit healthier. Also been used, actually, in sports stadiums as well, in the uh, the change rooms as well. 
So it's right. already in. So sorry, it's already in use. And what we're just seeing more and more is government uh, and regulatory groups seeing the the uh, a strong need for this as a supplemental disinfection technique. So so encouraged to be used even more. So I expect only more use. And so, do you think this will be something that you'll just build into? You know, is it something that can be built into a smart bulb? So you know, I could go to you know a shop and say right i'd like to, when i'm not using i press this button and turn you know smart controls i turn this on when i'm, I'm otherwise it just becomes a regular light and off you go yeah so that's where so depending on the the the, the type of um uh the light range so so there's some that are uh, easier for direct human contact uh so they have sort of a different nanometer uh, and, and you can actually have exposure for the whole day and it doesn't uh, affect you at all but then that's only good for bacterias for example so you can have these always on smart bulbs for example uh good for the home that could be useful for that um i expect to see what you're seeing now is integrated uh lighting solutions where you have normal lighting and then when nobody's around uh then it disinfects the room with like say a, a full blast of uvc i would expect there to be for now the most popular thing is obviously um for covid in particular uh is just sort of airborne and that's really where you're seeing the UVC embedded in those 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 movable fans and so forth. Now, apart from COVID and the pandemic that we're living through at the moment, one of the big questions on everybody's minds is about climate change and sustainability. How you know, everybody knows that LED lighting, in that sense, obviously, is much more efficient and, and energy uh, friendly compared to the old incandescent bulbs. But what's happening on the sustainability front in light bulbs at the moment? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Sustainability obviously is becoming uh, more and more front of mind of everybody. Uh, when you think about lighting, you, uh, obviously shifting to LED brings you know 40, 50, 60, 70 percent improvement in energy efficiency over time. Um, and what you've seen is over the past five to ten years, lighting used to take up about 18 to 20 percent of all electricity usage worldwide, and that's now down to about 13 percent just by shifting to LED lighting. And the belief is we can actually get that down to more 8% range. So still going from 13 down to 8% uh, of all electricity use by shifting to even more, uh, by getting everybody to shift to more uh, energy efficient light bulbs. Um, and obviously the inclusion of connectivity and controls, which just helps, you know, when should my light be on or off? So mm. there's a huge impact to be made just from lighting itself. Now, as part of that, obviously you're seeing EU regulation and so forth around energy labels. We're shifting to new guidelines. So there's obviously a lot of focus from a government regulatory standpoint. And obviously as part of September 1st, we'll actually be seeing this launch of uh, a new set of uh, energy labeling uh, uh, criteria. And as part of Signify's Philips Lighting, we've actually, we're launching four new A bulbs. So if you think of that, that A class at the top, uh, that'll be at the mm. highest level of energy efficiency. So in the old days, an old conventional light was about 16 lumens a watt. Um, these new ones are going to be 210 lumens a watt. So, so I guess about 10, 15 times more efficient. And old conventional lights used to last you for about 1,000 hours. These new lights that we're launching last for 50,000 hours. So basically, you're looking at if you use it for five hours a day, 10, that's basically, you know, uh, that's 10,000 days. That's it's like 30 years or something like that. So you can use these for quite some time. So better for the environment, uh, lower, better electricity bill for yourself, uh, and you can feel good about it too. There are two ways to look at the Nintendo Switch OLED model, positively as an all-round improved console with bigger, brighter, and better screen tech, 
or cynically as a half-baked progression over the original console, missing out on various opportunities to further improve and enhance the Switch experience. And the good news is, is that Pocket Lint's Mike Lowe is here to tell us which camp the Switch OLED falls into, having been playing with it for the last week. It's really pretty amazing, but it's going to very, very much depend on your stance and whether or not you already own any Switch of any kind. So, okay, so let's start with the first question then to help you out. Yeah. I already own one. Should I upgrade? It depends how you use it. So <laughs> the original Switch and the Switch OLED, if you only really use it on a TV plugged in that way, there's literally no difference because okay. the console itself is just going to sit in its dock um, and you're not, well, there's tiny differences, but you're not going to notice them. The process is the same. The way it runs the games is exactly the same. Um so if you have that situation, you don't really need to worry about this. If you use it in a portable sense or on, on a desktop sense quite a lot or yeah. intend to, it's way better because you get a bigger screen, a better screen, a brighter screen, and a much, much better kickstand that's built into the back as well. And you get double storage um, as standard. So it's basically the best Nintendo Switch that you can get in every regard for every possible use unless you already own the original one. There you go. That's it. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> there must be more to it than that. So ultimately, from a from a product perspective, as I say, the innards are all the same, aren't they? Yeah. So pretty. the same games work, there's backwards compatibility, forwards compatibility, all the other stuff. Really, it's about that screen, and I suppose how much you want to enjoy that experience so did you sometimes when you talk about bigger screens and you talk you know it's slightly bigger here or it's slightly brighter there you kind of you don't necessarily notice it unless you move to that and then move back so did you feel that it was a real like oh my goodness this is amazing moment um, or is it kind of just a refinement as we're seeing in a lot of devices at the moment it's, it's definitely a refinement but you do really notice the difference for multiple reasons so you think back to when the switch originally came out it was 2017 which is mad because that seems so long ago now. Yeah. Um, you know, that came out with a 6.2-inch screen, which when you think about phones and stuff, it's not that massive. Um, the OLED model, a few years later, it's a 7-inch screen, but it's in kind of exactly the same or almost exactly the same footprint. So all you're really doing is reducing the bezels, expanding that screen out. Um, and yes, it's not hugely massive, but it's still quite considerably bigger and you notice it it just feels it just feels that bit more engaging i think that's you know like you say it's, it's a step forward it's a refinement and if you're using it on the go then because some things on screens can be quite small like text and stuff it just just adds that extra little kind of scale to it that i just think is a much much better part of the package and, and the games that you were playing had did you do they because they're, they're obviously the graphics aren't improved are they but does does, does it feel like like they're just fresher and more exciting or does it not make the difference on that side of things either so graphically it is literally identical in terms of you know processing there's no difference in in that power um really it's down to technology basis it's it's in the same way if you bought an oled telly versus an older lcd one um and you particularly notice this side by side um the oled screen is just brighter it's got a quite a different balance of color so it's a bit cooler more kind of natural looking um and i think in its own light, you're not really going to notice that. But side by side, you can clearly see it as a step forward. So, you know, as with so many of these things, it's it's kind of progressing the technology to where it, it needs to be right now, really. And has there been any improvements with battery life with the new screen technology? Obviously, OLED isn't as, as hungry, but 
it is a bigger screen? Um, the quote on it is no, and I haven't noticed any difference from using it. And if there is a difference, it's going to be really small. So they haven't increased the battery capacity because the footprint of the product is basically the same. Um, you might get small gains here or there, but then, as you say, the, the increase in scale um, may work against that. So it's basically on par. You're not, not going to see anything improved. If you've used your original Switch boatloads, however, you may find the battery is not as good as it used to be on day one. And if you're in that kind of situation, then an upgrade to the OLED would therefore make quite a bit of sense because you might see quite a jump in, in battery life just simply because it's a new product. And in terms of availability, when's it out? Um, so it coincides with this very podcast, if you're listening on day one, um, October the 8th, just in time for Christmas, which is obviously the uh, the push. And it's the same release date as uh, Metroid Prime as well, which is uh, another title that, that adds to the, the Switch's kind of dominance, really, in, in terms of some of the first-party games it has. And I think it's worth really mentioning that even though, you know, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, yeah, they're more powerful. You get certain games that are amazing on those, but there's just something about Nintendo titles. And the reason the Switch OLED is kind of one of my favorite consoles kind of ever in a way is because there's just been so many amazing games over the course of time. And since 2017 with the original, it's just kept growing and growing. I, I think that's kind of Nintendo's big sell as it kind of always has been. It's just the games are really the thing that pushes this console forward. Yeah, it's got a better screen, which is great, but actually it's all about the gaming, really. And the final question, I suppose, on the availability stuff is it's, it's out today, mm-hmm. um, if you're listening on day one so of, of the podcast, but we've known and learned from the likes of PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X that there is just no stock or the scalpers get in and all the other stuff. Do you think that will be the same problem here? Is this going to be the number one device for Christmas that you won't be able to get? hopefully not but it's just such a difficult market at the minute you know there's chip shortages shortages in everything from cars to phones to whatever um in theory and this is just me looking at amazon right now you can pre-order it with a guarantee so it should be okay um hopefully nintendo's been savvy enough to get what they need into place to to enable it um it's one of those cases of we'll have to wait and see. It may depend on the demand. Um, and obviously, speaking about PlayStation specifically, that's been you know hugely in demand. They've sold far more than I think they expected to. Um, and the demand hasn't dropped off in a whole year. So I think Nintendo's game is slightly different. Um, the market and the audience is a little bit different because, as we were saying, it's it doesn't open up the ability to play new games or existing games in a better graphical format. Um, so hopefully if you want one you can get one and I think it's very much worth considering doing so um, there's also the, the difference in price which is quite important to mention because when Nintendo first announced um, the OLED model it was not dramatically different in cost um, compared to the original Switch but the original Switch has now dropped by an extra £50 so um, if, if you're literally just looking for TV play you might want to consider the older model if you want best of all worlds then then the uh, the oled model is the winner across the board well that's it for this week's show thanks for listening until next time pip pip 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 